Tappers, what's up? It is the Wednesday edition of the Daily Tap. We are talking Bucks Nets. Is it the NBA Finals in round two? We'll chat that, the ramifications positively and negatively about that, and maybe some of the consequences as well. We will also discuss um, Barry Alvarez uh, choosing Chris McIntosh. I think it was one of the worst kept secrets in sports. Uh, what that means for Wisconsin doesn't mean anything. Will McIntosh try to make his own stamp on the program? We'll talk about that. And then lastly, we will explain how Eric Lauer failed a big test and Eric Lauer did not live up to what we were hoping. So we'll we'll chat there. Maybe also at the end, a little Chuck's Corner on Mayor of Easttown and missing great sports because you're binging a show. So we'll, we'll get into all of that and more today. A good Wednesday show. Tapping the keg tomorrow. Mitch and I, tail of the tape, Nets, Bucks. Uh, let's get excited for that. But let's start with the Nets, Bucks as well. Um, but not necessarily the tail of the tape. More so... The conversation that Nets Bucks is the NBA Finals. Um, we was listening to Bill Simmons uh, not last, not Monday show, but his uh, Friday show, where he was talking about how the Nets and the Bucks are the NBA Finals with uh, Jake Howman as well as Rob Mahoney, and all of them seem to agree that Nets Bucks is the NBA Finals. That this is the most important series that we will see the rest of the playoffs, that this is going to be the hardest test for Brooklyn, vice versa for Milwaukee, and that this will be likely the champion out of this bracket. Now, it's a pretty heavy statement, right? Because talking about that means that you're basically forgetting what Philly's doing, forgetting a little bit what Atlanta's doing, forgetting anybody in the Western Conference, and saying these two are the best teams going. But I also think that it's fair. It's warranted, right? The Bucks have the best net rating so far in the playoffs. The Nets, I believe, have the second best net rating. They are two of the best teams right now in the playoffs. They look like champions, both teams. And the fact that they have to play each other is unfortunate, but that is, that's basketball, right? The fact that the Bucks, you know, sort of hung out in the, in the regular season, you know, cost them the the two seed. It's there's no way around it. They rested all their guys for what two games this year, and those two games could have been the difference of a two seed or a three seed. Now for the one seed, I I don't think it was ever in reach, just given Philadelphia's schedule. So it was kind of unavoidable, and it looked like this was going to happen. It looked like we were going to get Brooklyn and Milwaukee from from the jump, really, for most of this most of this season. I think that's what we were we were gonna get, and I'm I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that we have it, and now that it's here, it's it's going to be an incredible series. It's going to take years off my life. It's going to take years off of most Bucks fans' life. I think the con the natural sports fan person who doesn't have a stake in the game, who maybe they're gambling on it game to game, but that's about it. They're going to love it. They're going to have such a good time with it. And for us fans. It's going to be hell on earth, and I think there are going to be games that go down the wire. I was I was thinking through like what would be my prediction for the series, which I'll give with Mitch tomorrow. So that's a tease there, and just thinking through how this is going to go and envisioning 
what this might look like uh, between the Bucks and the Nets. So it's it's going to be a fight. And yes, it is probably the NBA Finals. And it's, it's the two best teams right now. I don't think there's a team that has emerged where you're like, this team is better. I think what Utah is doing with Memphis is impressive. I think Utah has kind of figured it out. We're seeing the Utah that I think we expected, right? With, with Donovan Mitchell back, I think that helps a lot. I know what Phoenix is doing to a LeBron-less Lakers, but again, or I'm sorry, AD like AD-less Lakers. But the Suns still, I still have some questions. I have questions on on CP3's durability. I have questions when they face an actual big man. Are they going to have problems? Like if they see Denver the next round, are you telling me that Jokic couldn't carry Denver past Phoenix? It's it's very possible. And and same goes when you're facing Gobert. Even though Gobert isn't offensively skilled as a Jokic or an Anthony Davis, he's still going to present a problem for the Phoenix Suns. And if the Suns make it all the way and Giannis is there, that's going to be an even bigger problem. Now, if they face Brooklyn, they'll actually get some reprieve. So I have questions about Phoenix too. And the Clippers, yeah, they've looked good the last two games, but as someone, I think it was Rosillo pointed out, like the Clippers are very boring. It's either, they, it might have been Simmons actually, but regardless, it it's they make threes, they're great. If they don't, they're not good. So, I, and I agree with that. And, and the Clippers still have Paul George, who is a classic choker, and he's had some really bad moments. And also, too, the Clippers role players, it's very Bucks-ish, right? Like, I think the combination of Paul George and Kawhi might do a little bit more than what Giannis and Chris Middleton do, but their role players are, like, 2018, 2019 Bucks-level bad. You don't, you know, you need, you're going to need a Terrence Mann game. You're going to need a Marcus Morris game. You're going to need, I think it's actually Markeith that's there. Sorry, I forget which Morris brothers there. I apologize. Uh, you'll need a, maybe a Pat Beverly game. And when I say Pat Beverly game, it's, you know, steals. It's, you know, getting a technical on the opposition. It's doing Pat Beverly type shit. But your Luke Kennard game, right? Like you're going to need those guys. And I just don't know if that's, that, ex- that exists. So to bring it back to Bucks Nets, they are the two best teams because everyone else is flawed. And right now we have not seen flaws from either the Bucks or the Nets. And that's why they right now are the two best teams. Now someone else could emerge. We have a long fucking way to go, right? We have a month and a half of basketball. We could easily see someone else and say, you know what? They ended up looking like the least flawed team and they ended up winning the NBA championship because of it. But right now, that's the Bucks and Nets are the best team. So that's why it is the NBA Finals. So what could be the ramifications from calling this the NBA Finals? In positive, it gives the Bucks a overwhelming amount of confidence heading into round three. And especially if it ends early. Like if the Bucks win in five or the Bucks win in six, I think Milwaukee has the utmost confidence that they can beat anybody. You worry a little bit about the hangover, whether you're playing Philadelphia or Atlanta. But at the same time, you're going to be ready to beat anybody. If you can take down Brooklyn, you can take down Philadelphia, you can take down Atlanta, you can take down anybody from the West. And the additionally, the, the other positive is, is that there is somewhat of a shedding of a skin. The Bucks have been, they have a reputation of not necessarily being a great playoff team. 
it's unfair. I've talked about it. Giannis is a young guy. He's gotten more shit for not being able to do stuff in the playoffs than I think really anyone. Um, and I think LeBron and, and a little bit of Kevin Durant poisoned the fact that Giannis, you know, kind of got this shit. And so there would be that sort of Giannis. So the narrative starts changing a little bit on Giannis. Um, positive, another positive, I don't know if they see a tougher team the rest of the way. And so sort of that preparation, right? We talked, I, I've, I haven't mentioned this, or maybe I have, I, I can't, you know, I talk a lot. But the idea that playing Miami for four games is much better than playing Boston for five games. That I think it's prepared the Bucks for what they have to deal with with Brooklyn. And I don't know if I can say the same thing for uh, the Nets against the Celtics. Like I, I or the Celtics for the Nets. I, I just don't. I think the Celtics were a B League team uh, down the stretch. They were they were playing their B roster. Kemba wasn't healthy. Robert Williams wasn't healthy. They didn't have Jalen Brown. Like this was a shell of what Boston is. So that's why. I really think the Bucks kind of have that leg up in terms of who they've already played. And I think that would just continue uh, after the fact of the Nets series if the Bucks were to move on. So what would be the negatives? What would be stuff that it would just kind of raise flags? Well, number one, if LeBron's, LeBron loses and the Suns absolutely ship pumped the Lakers, I was very surprised by it. It was very weird, right? In terms of LeBron and who LeBron is, I did not expect this. I I wagered on the Lakers. I thought the Lakers were in a good spot. I thought we would see an iconic LeBron game. And maybe, just maybe, we are starting to see LeBron James look old. And, in, and I think you're going to start hearing that a lot in the national media. I mean, it's going to be an onslaught today, right? The Lakers lost by 30 in a pivotal game five. And now they go home. LeBron will hear it all. And maybe he forces a game seven. And maybe there is a game seven in in Phoenix. But I I just don't know. I don't know. And so the Lakers are out. There are going to be t- people that say, well, Giannis didn't do it against LeBron. Giannis didn't, wasn't able to achieve it against LeBron. The negative also is Philadelphia will be lurking. Doc Rivers is a supreme motivator. Now, Doc Rivers is not a great playoff coach. He has has as much struggles with Mike Budenholzer, but because he's tied in with the media a lot better, we don't hear that same shit. We don't hear the same shit that Mike Budenholzer gets. And so because of that, you know, there is that caveat, but Doc's going to motivate his guys, especially if this Nets, Bucks, it's the NBA Finals narrative gets picked up. He's going to use that for his guys and say, they don't respect you. And so I do think that there is that chance where even if the Bucks win in five or win in six, even in seven, I think it's a guarantee they're probably not winning game one because I think the hangover of that Nets, Nets series will kind of be there. And I do think that motivation can carry you at least for two games maybe. I think after game two, it's like, all right, we respect you, whatever. It's not, it's not the same. But I, I do think it can be something that Doc Rivers can use as motivation. Also, too, it, it, it could end up just tiring out the Bucks. I think the fact the Bucks played four games, they blew out the heat, and really two of them, I would say two and a half, right? The second half was a blowout, but the starters were playing, I think, decent minutes. 
So this shouldn't tire out the Bucks, but it's still very possible. It's still very possible that the fatigue of this series wears down the Bucks and it causes them to struggle the rest of the way. It's a gauntlet, man. The East is finally better than the West. And that's that's a topic, I think, for the national people. But it, it's true. The East is much better. And you look at Philly, Brooklyn, or Milwaukee, and you'd probably rank them in some order that they are the three best teams for the title. And then maybe it's Phoenix and then it's Utah. I think that would be your top five at this point. If you're saying right now in the playoffs... I would say, because I'm biased, I would say it's Milwaukee, it's it's Brooklyn, it's Philadelphia if Embiid's healthy. If Embiid's not healthy, um, I think they go under the top five, actually. I would probably even put maybe Atlanta, honestly, over them. Uh, Mitch will love to hear that, because Mitch, Mitch thinks Philly's going to get a series from Atlanta. I don't disagree with that, but and I'll maybe we'll talk about it. I'm sure I'll bring it up. But... The I would say power ranking right now. Let's just say it's current state. So Embiid is battling a knee injury again. So let's just say current state of the teams right now. It, 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 here's my power rankings for championship teams. It's the Bucks, Nets, Jazz, Suns, Hawks. Yes, I put the Hawks there. And then six, I would say Philadelphia. Seven, Denver. That, that, okay, there you go. I won't do it any further. <laughs> That, that that would gotta be where I'm at right now. I'm sure we'll do some sort of reseeding the nationals will when it's it's all done and we have it all figured out. But a bunch of games tonight. Um should be a really good slate of NBA games. And as us Bucks fans, we'll just sort of hang out in, in the Krusty Crab with our coffee like we're SpongeBob and just wait for Saturday night. And Thank God the game's being played on Saturday night. So they announced it if you were in bed. Uh, they announced that the game's going to be on TNT at 6.30. Thank God. Um, I thought for sure we were looking at a primetime or an afternoon game because there were two game sevens potentially. Kane Pittman mentioned that. And I, I have a one-year-old's birthday party. Shout out to Wyatt. Um, and... I was very much like, I am going to be, this is going to get into a fight. Like, I'm just, this isn't going to go well with my fiance. I was like, shit. It's like, ah, man, afternoon game, one-year-old birthday party. I'm going to get antsy. I'm going to be wanting to go out. The city, I mean, it's going to be like 80 in Milwaukee. It's going to, first, like, weekend without masks. I mean, it's going to be an absolute shit show with the Bucks. I think it's going to be balls to the walls, um, and I think you should expect expect craziness, right? With that being said, I was like, God damn, an afternoon game would not do me any favors. And honestly, I wouldn't care about the going out portion. If it, like if I had to watch it with, I, it really would just be that I have to watch the TV. If I could watch the TV, and then I'd have to keep my composure and not show myself as this crazed fan. Uh, but that wasn't a problem. The game's at 6.30. I have nothing to worry about. The party, I think, will go like three hours. I think I won't have a ton of turnaround time to go go like back and forth. But, you know, nothing that a couple shots and a couple of quick beer chugs won't fix. And we'll be, we'll be nice and ready to go for game number one wherever we do watch it. Um, so it should be, should be a lot of fun, man. It should be a crazy day in the city of Milwaukee. And I look forward to it. All right, let's talk about the Wisconsin Badgers. So the Wisconsin Badgers hired their AD. The white smoke had appeared from 
Camp Randall, and it is Chris McIntosh. I think that's probably the worst kept secret, right? Chris McIntosh was Barry Alvarez's hand-picked successor. McIntosh has been, you know, Barry's right-hand man for, I think, a few years now. And so now McIntosh will be taking the keys from Barry Alvarez. Now, Barry Alvarez will still be around. He's helping the Big Ten. I think he's helping the football side of things as, like, an advisor. So basically, he's still getting paid even though he's retired, which I don't hate that hustle at all from Barry Alvarez. And I think about the Badgers' top you know, the top of the, the ladder, whether it's McIntosh now or Alvarez, Greg Gard, Paul, Paul Crest. And it really is kind of a mafia family. Now, some of you might get offended by that. I'm not trying to start any shit here. But what I'm trying to say is a mafia family sticks very close together and that you really don't go against the quote unquote family. And that is exactly what Barry Alvarez did here with the the addition of Chris McIntosh. And as well, we saw the one time they went outside the family. It was Gary Anderson. It didn't go well. Everyone hated Gary Anderson. Gary Anderson nearly ruined the walk-on culture that is at the University of Wisconsin. And Gary Anderson was short-lived here at the University of Madison. And so after that had happened... The, pa- the Badgers were very much like, let's keep everything in-house. So they're doing it again with Chris McIntosh. Chris McIntosh is an in-house hire. It's part of the Badger family that has been there really since the early 90s. It's hard. I'm hard-pressed to find another example of this. I'm sure it exists. I'm sure Alabama in the future will kind of have this with Nick Saban and that there will always be this umbrella of Nick Saban. But the Badgers still have not been able to really get out of Barry Alvarez's shadow because Barry Alvarez wants it that way, right? He wants that legacy to continue on. And his shadow is never going to be able to break away from if you keep it always in the family. And Barry will be the patriarch until his time is done in Wisconsin and until he he passes. He will always oversee the program and that will always be him. And in a lot of ways, I think fans would say he deserves that or he he's given he's granted that because he rebuilt the Badger program from nothing in the complete ground, one of the worst Big Ten schools of the last, I think, 20 years at that point, and into a powerhouse. Maybe not hasn't won a hasn't got to the college football playoff, but they've made many of Rose Bowls, they've made many of New Year's Six Bowls. They they've had a very illustrious almost 30 years now of what Barry Alvarez has done. So he probably has every right to sort of be that patriarch, be that shadow. But the question is, will Chris McIntosh say, eh, I need to make my own legacy? Because when you take over for somebody, no matter if it's a legend or it's just a random person, you're always going to want to make your own impact. And McIntosh knows that the two sports that probably he can start making a stamp on are football and basketball. Now, I'll also add hockey would be another one that he could really sort of make an impact just given Wisconsin's amount of talent that they've had come through in terms of the hockey. But football and basketball reign supreme. I don't think in any way, shape, or form Paul Crist is on the hot seat. 
I don't think that there is any rhyme or reason to put Paul Christ on the hot seat. They've done really well. They've recruited really well. I've actually said their 2020 recruiting class like had national championship vibes to me. Like I think Wisconsin's only getting better. I think the way they've recruited has been fantastic throughout the last few years. I do think Paul Christ has to adapt his offense a little bit to 2021, but I don't think that's something that will lead to him getting replaced anytime soon. I think that he has a long history here with, with Wisconsin. It would take a lot of losing for them to say, all right, we are moving on. We are going another direction. We're leaving the family or we're bringing in another family member to sort of take over this role. Now for Greg Gard, it's a little interesting. Greg Gard is, I know a lot of people like Greg Gard. He's very well liked in the media. I think the fans like him too. Again, he's part of that family, right? The Bo Ryan connection. He's from Platteville. Um, he, he just has, a, or he went to Platteville. He's from Cobb, Wisconsin. Pardon me. But Greg Gard has had an interesting, you know, tenure. He went to the Sweet 16 his first two years. Now, those were a lot of Bo Ryan recruits, but Greg Gard recruited a lot of those guys too. So I, I kind of always have a little trouble with that. He won a Big Ten title in 2020. The tournament got canceled. We'll never know what that Badger team was like. I think a lot of people would tell you that that Badger team was a Final Four team if they wanted to be. But other than that, they finished in the round of 64 and they finished in the round of 32. The Badgers have, you know, you know, they only won 18 games last year. Now, I know the pandemic had had something to do with that, but they've had some rough years under guard. There's no there's no way around that. Right. They have not had the sustained success that Bo Ryan had. Now, I'd also note the Big Ten, I think, has gotten better. I think the Big Ten has invested in basketball. and I think there are better coaches than there were when Greg or, uh, when Bo Ryan was there. So I do think there's something to do with it. I don't think guard seat will get hot. But if you were looking for McIntosh to say, hey, I want to make an impact, what would that be? That impact might be at basketball. And it might be sort of changing it up and saying, all right, what Greg Guard does is not there for 2021. We're not getting the recruits. People don't want to come to Wisconsin. They'd rather come to Marquette. They'd rather go to another big school. And they'd, they want to play more up-tempo basketball system. And what guard gives us is nothing. I don't know when that would happen. I also think the Badgers don't have a board that would, you know, force guys out. I, I just don't. I, I've never really heard it. I do wonder if that comes into play more. So because Barry Alvarez is Barry Alvarez and has and carries big stick and is, you know, I would say a little bit of an intimidating figure. I, I, I would say that. Will there be, you know, board members that try to push McIntosh around a little bit, that try to take advantage of him because he's the new guy and try to insert their vo voice more? Um, Wisconsin is one of the few programs that I can recall where the boosters really aren't involved. The boosters aren't really a part of what they do and that they they don't make decisions because of boosters. You hear what happens in Texas. I mean, even locally with Marquette, right? One of the worst kept secrets for Marquette recently is that there was a guy who paid significant amount of money to get Steve Wojciechowski fired and paid his buyout. 
they just wanted Wojo gone. And that they paid that money. So they have a force. But we haven't seen it in Wisconsin. It hasn't really been a thing that we've seen a lot from the Badger faithful. So who knows? Maybe that comes into play. But it'll be very interesting to see what happens with Chris McIntosh and if anything changes. I don't I don't foresee anything in the near future. But as years go on, I could see him wanting to say, all right, it's my time to shine. It's been three or four years since Barry Alvarez. I need to make my own sort of waves. Let's wrap up the show with the Milwaukee Brewers. The Milwaukee Brewers had a disappointing night against the Detroit Tigers. They lead to a split. It is a 10-7 ball game. The Brewers could not pitch to save their soul, most notably Eric Lauer. Eric Lauer was a goddamn mess in this game. And we had talked uh, either yesterday or the day prior about how Lauer, you know, kind of looked like he was figuring it out. He had one bad start. And I was really sort of pumping up the Lauer, the Lauer bandwagon because I, I thought that Eric Lauer would really sort of come through here and really start to make shit happen. He did not do that. He did not have that sort of make shit happen. He had a given had a six run second inning after Colton Long hits a leadoff home run. They give up a home, two home runs, one to Haas, one to Scope. I think it's Eric Haas. Eric Haas and Jonathan Scope both hit home runs and a Miguel Cabrera three run double and the route was on. And after that, the Brewers played catch-up. Now, they they tried to catch up. You know, Tyrone Taylor hit two home runs in this game. But every time, and so did Colton Wong, every time the Brewers kind of tried to play catch-up, the Tigers sort of found it in them to respond back. It was a a very ugly game for for all all pitching. Um, It was an ugly game for Matthew Boyd. It was an ugly game for Eric Lauer, obviously. And yes, you did have a really good Adrian Hauser start out of the bullpen. That was interesting. Adrian Hauser pitched five innings and really kind of preserved that bullpen. He only allowed one run. He struck out six. He walked two. He he pitched pretty well. I mean, it was a pretty good start for Adrian Hauser. And it makes you kind of wonder what were the Brewers doing sort of fucking around with Eric Lauer. Now, I think the Brewers want to prove that A, Eric Lauer is is a good pitcher, and maybe they, they need sort of that justification of Eric Lauer. That Eric Lauer can be a big league pitcher. But again, we have these moments with him where it just does not seem like he's connected. So think about this for a second. Eric Lauer's facing the Tigers. Tigers were good against lefties last year. One of the better teams against lefties. This year, they've been really bad. Uh, they have the lowest on-base uh, on plus slugging percentage in all of baseball against left-handers. Eric Lauer has faced the Los Angeles Dodgers, the San Diego Padres, the Atlanta Braves, who he's okay against, and in the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, Philadelphia Phillies, he had 400 runs in that game. He still gave, he still surrendered three home runs. But why is Eric Lauer so much better against the Dodgers and the Padres than he is other teams? Why is he more dialed in with those teams than he is against, say, the Phillies, the Braves, and then the Tigers. Someone explain that to me. Is it all between the ears for him? But how can you trust Eric Lauer at this point? You can't. And Eric Lauer either is a bullpen guy, and maybe you test him out that way, 
Or maybe you start piggybacking Lauer and Hauser, and and Lauer starts, and Lauer's an opener, and he's one inning or two innings, and he's done, and then it's Adrian Hauser time. I don't know. I don't know what Craig Council will do, because Adrian Hauser was supposed to pitch on Thursday. It's probably not going to happen, right? They're going to probably have to figure something else out for... For Adrian Hauser, maybe they can bump some guys up, move it around, and Brett Hauser, Brett Hauser, Brett Anderson pitches on Thursday, and then Adrian Hauser pitches later in the week. But what they did here just made—I don't—I don't think it made no sense. I think they were trying a six-man rotation because they don't have a lot of a, a lot of off days coming up. This is one of their only off days in the next five weeks. They have one again, I think, on Monday. And then that's their last off day till like June 25th. So we're trying to add a little extra to their rotation to kind of space guys out, give them more time, but that's just not going to work. And I, I feel like this is the theme of the Milwaukee Brewers this season, right? Where every time the Brewers try something, it does, does not seem to work. You know, they they try to, to do the six-man rotation. It, it falls flat on their face. They try to have this sort of rotational outfield. Lorenzo Cain gets hurt. Christian Yelich gets hurt. Now Lorenzo Cain's hurt again, and they were fully healthy for, I don't know, maybe five days. Now Tyrone Taylor comes out of AAA and he hits two home runs. I, I think Tyrone Taylor is a borderline starter in baseball. I just think he has problems in the field a little bit. And so I do think Tyrone Taylor should stay up, even though Lorenzo Cain will be ready to probably go in whether it's 10 days, 15 days. I think Tyrone Taylor is a big league player. I've said that for a while now. So And the Brewers with Adamas, like, yeah, they brought in Adamas, great. But now it's like you don't have a bullpen. And Mitch and I will talk about the bullpen tomorrow about why my theory behind it. I have this whole theory of why I think the Brewers did it. I will save it for Mitch and bounce it off him and talk about this bullpen because the bullpen is not really that good anymore. The bullpen used to be kind of a strength, and now J.P. Fireisen's closing games for the, the Tampa Bay Rays instead of being our seventh inning guy. And he could have easily been our seventh inning guy. I'm not saying J.P. Fireisen makes a difference in this game, but Eric Yardley is a shell of himself. He has not been good all year. He struggled again, uh, and I don't know if people are just picking up his his throwing motion or what, but he's he's not good. And so Trevor Richards, has been. he had a good one-inning pitched yesterday but Trevor Richards gave up the lead on on Monday afternoon so the Brewers have some issues I'm not overreacting to one loss it's more just my frustration with Eric Lauer that it seems like he cannot keep his composure and that against good teams he can dial it in against bad teams he seems to lose focus and that's a real issue and until Eric Lauer can prove he can do it against everybody I just really don't have a need for him. So it sucks that he failed that test and hopefully the Brewers get a day off, get to kind of rest the body a little bit and then they get ready for a four-gamer against the Arizona Diamondbacks and we'll figure out who the starter is for that one. Like I said, Mitch and I will be back tomorrow to talk to the keg. We'll do tail of the tape, Bucks Nets. Well, I'm sure we'll talk a little Brewers, maybe fit some Packers in there. I will also note... Um, no, I won't. I was going to know about Mayor of Easttown. I'll talk about maybe Friday. That seems like maybe a good Chuck's Corner Friday. I haven't done Chuck's Corner in a while. Um, and I'm, I'm at a time, time myself. So I got to get skedaddling here and get on with my day. All right. Take care, guys. Have yourself a great Wednesday. Back tomorrow. All right. See you. Bye.